FCC. Last night I was reading the book of Ezekiel where it talks about the dry bones and what I noticed was the bones were dry because they signified Israel had a lack of hope. And that God was able to add flesh onto those bones. So if you need hope this morning, I invite you to ask for it. Saturday inside, surely it was through. Since when is impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty too. Since when is impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of the dry bones rattling. This is a place we can tell and walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of the dry bones rattling.
so grateful, God, that we can rest in that promise. Thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us by your grace.
Yeah, we're going to stay in that same kind of heart of worship together. And uh, we really want these moments to be meaningful. And uh, if we're not careful, whatever it is we had going on before we got here, whatever the complications were in getting here, that can distract. Sometimes we can make this about the drummer and how cool, and, and praise God for the drummer, you know, and, and the guitarist, the vocalist, and we can get distracted in that. And yet we want this to be a meaningful time between us individually and corporately and with the Lord. And so I want to just challenge us all to make that meaningful. There's a beautiful song that we, you know, recently introduced to the church. It's got a wonderful line in it. It's ministered to my heart big time. Even though when I can't see it, I'm going to keep believing anyway. And we all have moments in our lives where we just can't see it, whatever it might be. I just can't see what you're doing. I can't see what's going on in my family. I can't see what's going on my future, whatever those things are. And we gotta leave those things and kind of release them to the Lord. And I've mentioned to you, I think if you've been here for a little while, you know that there's a little spot for me right here between me and the Lord. That's my little spot and I kneel down and I sit before the Lord and I just release those things to him. And uh, you know, we have had COVID and whatnot go on the last couple years, but we want people who feel free enough to come forward and be able to kneel and kind of um, do some business with God to have the point in our service where they could do that. Christ said it should be a house of prayer. And so we wanna make this place a house of prayer. So for those of you guys who feel free, the Spirit of God has made you feel free enough to come forward, just know we keep the lights dim on purpose. Like nobody's watching you. Nobody is wondering what's going on in your life. If anything, we're just praying over whatever is going, going, uh, going whatever you're going through. Had a sweet uh, lady in our church at the last worship uh, night that we did, and we had a point where you could come forward and kneel down, and I was kneeling down. And she was a more of a legacy person in our church, been around for a long time, and she came down next to me and she kneeled. And when I was done and getting up, she said, "You know what? Would you help me up?" I said, "Of course, I'll help you." She goes, "I just knew if I was going to come down and kneel, that I needed to kneel by a big guy who could help me up afterwards." Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I'll help you up every day of the week. I love that. This next song is gonna be an opportunity for you to come forward and kneel down before the Lord. Nobody's gonna be looking at you. Nobody's gonna be wondering about you. You just come and leave it before God. And if you don't feel free to do that, would you pray over the people who come forward? And if you don't, I'm not there yet, but you could sit down and just put your hands like this and do some kind of expression that shows God what your, what's going on in your heart. And let's just make this moment a powerful moment where God meets us there. Man, I'm telling you, he met me right there when I couldn't see it and I kept believing and he came through for me and I want him to come through for you too. So any point in the next song, you can join me as we go before our Lord on our knees uh, in an expression that says we still believe you even when we can't see it. Feel free to do that with me.
lift her head, you were worthy. And after all those tears were shed, you were worthy. I'll never stop singing your praise. I'll never stop singing your praise. You're
Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, I am Zach Lawler. I have one fan in the audience. <laughs> What's up? Uh, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Camrio Community Church. So excited to be here. People, how good is God in your lives right now? Can I hear some noise from the crowd? Uh, uh, he's better than that. Y'all need to wake up, okay? Uh, they gave me 38 minutes to speak, and the timer's not going, so I'm going to go for 45, right? <laughs> What's up? Uh, today, I, I usually start with a question, and I want to start with a question right now. Has there ever been a time in your life where you could not fit in? Like, has that ever happened? Or has there ever been a time in your life where you just stuck out, like, you know, like a sore thumb? But you guys, I don't know about y'all. For me, this was my entire childhood, okay? Because I grew up in an elementary school that was 75% Hispanic, 24% Native American. So you can imagine as a blonde, blue-eyed kid, I had a hard time blending in, okay? And um, I just remember going to my first day of kindergarten. And you guys know when you're going to your first day of school, you're nervous, you're scared. And I remember my mom trying to reassure me, like, sweetheart, they're all going to love you as much as we love you. And it was so sweet, you know. And, and I, I marched onto that playground with a brave face. And, and I was so excited to meet the new group of kids who would make up my community. However, I was not greeted with open arms. I, in fact, was jumped by five kids who were much older than me. And this would turn out to be kind of the way things would go for me for the next couple of years. And to be honest, I didn't know why I was being singled out or why I had received this treatment. I just knew for some reason they were reminding me that I didn't really belong with who they were. But, you know, there's this old saying, what does not kill you makes you? No, causes emotional scarring. What's wrong with you guys? Um, you, you've obviously never been jumped every day, but... Um, Within my first couple years of school, I learned a very hard lesson. I was in a group of people that did not consider me one of their own, and I was in this desperate need to, to find peace in this situation. And for a long time, I struggled to find peace, you know. And I remember going to my parents for advice, and my mom was like, you know, you catch more bees with honey, sweetheart. I tried honey. The only thing honey got me was more beatings. And, and maybe she's like, you can just hide out, you know, just try to blend in. Well, it doesn't matter how big your, your hooded sweater is. I stuck out like a sore thumb. And you know what they say, the nail that sticks out gets the hammer? No, wedgies. You guys really need to work on your popular sayings. However, to my great surprise, I actually found peace from a very unlikely source. Uh, the young man that was actually responsible for most of my beatings, his name was Eric. I'll never forget him. He was a, a large Native American boy who had a really big family group at the church, and they just love to come at me every day. And I'll never forget it. He comes walking towards me one day. I knew the procedure. I took my backpack off, and I set it on the ground so they couldn't use it to yank me down. And, and I clenched my fist like I was actually going to be able to throw a punch before I went down, right? And, and he comes walking up to me, but there was something different about his demeanor. And he was smiling. And Eric looked me in the face, and he said, hey, um, I didn't know you were Native American. And I'm like, uh, Native American? I'm sorry. And he's like, yeah, I saw your dad drop you off today. Uh, you didn't tell me your dad was a native. And in that instance, I realized something. Um, due to my dad's dark complexion, he had mistaken my dad for something he absolutely was not. Okay? My dad has dark brown hair, dark brown eyes, and he, when he works in the sun, he gets quite a tan. But my dad is about a Native American as I am handsome, right? Like, not even a little bit. Okay? So, um, I stood there realizing if I tell him yes, I could find peace. But if I lie, and I get caught in that lie... I'm going to get my beating sevenfold, right? And I just had this thought where I just was just thinking what to do. And I was wondering, church, what would you do? Raise your hand if you would lie in order to stop the beatings. Oh, only a, oh Brian's the only honest one. You weren't there, right? The rest of you guys, you'd probably be like, no, nah, I'd, be, I'd be honest and I would just take the whoopings, right? Well, you guys know me. I'm a man of integrity and a man of great courage. So I responded, yep, yeah. Uh, my, my dad's Native American. I thought you knew that. And the unthinkable happened. Like, Eric put his arm around me, and he welcomed me into his group. And not just that, this group of Native American kids accepted me as one of their own, and they actually protected me from the other group of kids that had been coming after me in that school. And later on, Eric would uh, become my best friend in the entire world. And, and I did find peace. As a second grader, it seemed like the only way to live in a city that was not my own within which I was a, a minority 
And I know some of you are judging me a little bit, and some of you might be disappointed, but you weren't there, okay? Um, But the question for today is this, how should we live in a city that is not our own? How should we live in a city that is not our own? And I know what some of you guys are thinking, Zach, um, this is our city right? Like we own land here, really expensive land, you know, and we pay taxes here, lots of taxes to be here. And some of us have served in our community and some of us have served our country for many years. If you've done that, I thank you. But I need to remind you guys of something. As Christians, we are not not only aliens to this city, but we are aliens to this entire world. We must never forget that. Where do I get this idea? First Peter 2, 11 through 12, dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires and wage war against your very souls. John 15, 19 says this, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why it hates you. And there's several more verses I could quote to remind us that we are not of this world, but I will not do it for the sake of time. But we must remember that the answer is clear. We are no longer citizens of this world. And it's becoming more and more clear every day, it seems. Things that we hold as values, as part of our faith, are under attack. It seems like the lines between what is Christian and is American is getting further and further apart. We're becoming more polarized. And every day, it seems something that I held sacred and true is under attack from the people around me. And the question remains, church, how should we live in a city that is not our own? How should we live in a city that is not our own? Well, we're going to see our answer. We're going to go to text here. We're going to go Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 7. To start, and the first point you're going to see is this. We should flourish where we are stuck. We should flourish where we are stuck. Um, Before we go into the scripture, we please pray for me because there's some Old Testament names and I'm going to destroy all of them. Okay? All right. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this people. Uh, Let it gleam something to our souls and to our hearts. God, I I pray that you're in this place with us because I know you are and I pray that you're with me as I speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Jeremiah 29. Here we go. Um, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent for Jerusalem to the surviving elders and of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jacone and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, and uh, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elijah, the son of Stephan, and... Oh, my goodness. Jeremiah? That sounds right. And Helakach from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent by Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I'm glad that's over. It said, Thus says the Lord of the host, the God of Israel, all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare will be your welfare or its good will be your good. If you have another translation. Now, um, this, this passage holds many like timeless truths we could apply to our church life and to our life in America today. And we see God's people have been carried off into exile by a foreign people. And if you guys know God's people from the Old Testament, they're really good at one thing, doing the exact opposite of what God has called them to do, right? And he sends these prophets and he says, repent and turn or you will be punished. Repent and turn or you'll be punished. Well, they're receiving a punishment. They have been drug off to a land that is not their own. And who caused this to happen? Well, we see that God takes credit for this. He says to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it must be noted that these are not common people, you guys. These are some of the best people Jerusalem had to offer. Babylon's being very careful in who they select so they can use them for the good of their city. These are skilled craftsmen, artists, and well-educated people. That means some of the best people in Jerusalem have been drugged to a land that they do not belong in, a land that they are being held captive in. This word captive, I want you guys to think of like, uh, uh, exotic animal in the zoo. Have you guys ever gone to the zoo and been like really excited to see like the tigers? 
right? And you go to the tiger enclosure, and if you're lucky enough to see it, you'll just see the thing pacing back and forth along the fence. I remember the last zoo I went to, the tiger had actually worn a track in the front of the fence that was like a foot deep where he just paced all day. And it was actually really sad to see, because if you guys know anything about tigers in the wild, they will have a territory of around 60 square miles that they control. And in the course of a male tiger's life, he will roam thousands of miles back and forth if he is free to do so. So this is exactly how we see the Jewish people. They've been drug out of their land. They've been exiled to somewhere they don't belong. And they are being forced to live in a city that is not theirs. They can, they can build homes, though. They can marry. They can start families. But they're not free in the truest sense of the word because they're not free to leave. And we see this. God says this. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is its welfare where you will find your welfare or your good. And God's instructions are very clear. Make the best of your life because you're going to be here for a while Make, build homes, settle down, plant gardens, eat from the gardens. Here's the point. It's going to be a while. Fall in love, get married, have kids, marry those kids off, multiply in numbers. And we're going to come back to that idea of flourishing where you're stuck later in this sermon. But for right now, I want to go on to the second point. Number two, ignore the instigators. How should we live in a city that is on our own? Ignore the instigators. Ignore those who stir up trouble. Let's go back to the Bible. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Here's God's point. These prophets, they're not my prophets. They may come to you using my name, but they are not from me. And the, the crazy part is these prophets are actually saying that they've had dreams from the Lord. And that within a couple years, the Jewish people are going to be delivered. But how many years did God just promise the exiles? Seventy years, you guys. Like, I'm not super good at math. Everybody knows that. But there's a big difference between two and 70. Two is the amount of years your kids will be in expensive braces, right? But 70 is a life time, you guys. So here's the problem. These prophets, they're stirring up trouble. They're telling the Jewish people, uprise, resist, fight the people we're under. God's going to deliver us. But God's like, no, I am not. Jeremiah is saying, don't fight back. Don't attack the city. Instead, wait on the Lord. Wait on his promises. After 70 years, I will come get you out. And here's our application for today, you guys. As Christians, we live in a world that is not our own. And we live with a people that are not our own, you know. And, and we're stuck in, in these cities where people believe the exact opposite of what we are called to believe by the Bible. And, and the funny thing is people around us always want to give us advice on how to live. And, and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are like, man, you need to get money. You need to get possessions. You need to get property. Zach, you need to live for comfort above all else. Clearly, you can't be too generous with your funds because that would inter interfere with how happy you're going to be in retirement if I ever retire. Pastors have a hard time with that. And uh, you'll have others tell you, in fact, if there's something in your life that makes you unhappy, drop it. Right? Like if you're in a marriage and she's making you unhappy... Why stick around? And I've even had people use the name of God. I mean, after all, God knows she's not making you happy. Why not find someone who is? And better yet, I've received this advice. If she's not making you happy, go get it somewhere else. You can have the best of both worlds. Stay married. Go somewhere else. You don't have to go through a nasty divorce. You don't have to hurt your kids. As a matter of fact, um, I remember... Um, I. Right around uh, year seven. You guys know year seven in marriage? You know what that's famous for? Anybody here been married long enough to remember year seven? Year seven is usually the time in your marriage where things that used to be cute are no longer adorable. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I remember uh, my wife makes this whistling noise in her nose when she sleeps. Don't tell her I told you that. And it used to be so cute. 
But now it sounds like a foghorn going off in the darkness, you know? And, and it was right around this time when, and like, I remember marrying her because she was headstrong and, and she was like a, a powerful lady and she was so sure in what she believed. But later on in marriage, I just wanted to win like one argument, you know? Like I just wanted to win one fight. And in a marriage where we used to be like just so passionate and on fire for each other, we are now filled with like t-ball games and childcare and school projects we are pretty much doing everything but spending time together. And I think we'd reached a point in our marriage where we really need to fall back in love, if any of you guys can relate to that in your longer marriages. So I went to the, to the church first. I went to the men in the church, and I, and I complained about my wife and how she's not meeting all my needs and how she needs to live for me. And I remember the Christian men giving me all this malarkey, you know, about, like, living for her needs. What? Right? And, and maybe, you could, maybe you could live for somebody else other than, than yourself. Or maybe your marriage isn't about you. Maybe your marriage is about bringing glory to God. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really listening. Right? So I decided I would get somebody who was on my side. So I went to somebody in my family who I'm very close to who will remain nameless. And I asked her for advice on marriage. And I'll never forget the advice I got. You know, just because you have children with her does not mean you have to stay married to her. Kids do just fine after divorce. Sometimes parents fall out of love, you know? I, I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have taken that advice today. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I just want to do a little sidebar. Men, if you're in the position where you feel like you're out of love with your wife, the Bible calls you to fight for your marriage. If you're in a position where you're struggling to get what you want, maybe your life isn't about you. Maybe your marriage is about bringing glory to God and Jesus in the name of everything you two together as a couple. So please hear me on that. If you're struggling in your marriage, fight for your marriage. But that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> We're talking about something else. I'm going to get fired. All right. The truth is sometimes we need to fight to stay in love, you guys. But this is the kind of advice you get in a world that is not your world. This is the kind of advice you're going to get from people that are not your People. So we have two points from the text. First, how should we live in a city that is not our own? First, we should flourish where we're stuck. Second point is ignore the instigators. And you have a bonus point today. You're welcome. Third point, trust in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. We're going to meet, we're going to read 20, uh, Jeremiah 29 11. Who knows that? Throw your hand up. It's a very, one guy? Okay, more. You guys are paying attention now. Jeremiah 29 11 through 14. I want to read it to you guys. Very popular here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare or your good, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and I will and come pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to a place from where I sent you into exile. And this is like perhaps one of the most best-known passages in the entire Old Testament, maybe in the Bible altogether. I know my wife used to write this on the bathroom mirror, and she'd get all pumped up for her day, like, Lord has good things, let's go, you know? And I even know people that like have this tattooed on their back, right? I have a homie that has this tattooed across his whole back, you know, and, 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 he, and he just lives by this promise that the Lord has great things promised to him in his life. And I remember this verse. I, every time me and him were hanging out, I would read this. It was, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And don't ask me why his shirt was never on. We played a lot of sports. Okay, but it is an amazing piece of scripture and a wonderful promise to God's people. Right? And, and I just want to remind you guys of something. We, we usually take this like well out of context. This is one of the most popular verses used by the prosperity gospel teachers, right? That God has some prosperous things in mind for you. It's a promise from the Bible, but let's read it in the context. What is going on with God's people as he's giving this promise? They've been drug off to a foreign land. They're forced into exile. They're a captive in a land they don't want to be in. They're working for a city, and it's good. That'll never bring about their uh, like prosperous life back in their homeland, right? And if they're going to be there for 70 years, I got news for you. Every person in the age that is old enough to understand this promise from God will be dead long before they receive the promise. 
70 years plus 30, they'd have to be over 100 years old to ever receive the promise in their lives. And how does this apply to us? We read this promise, we take it out of context, and we say, God has good things planned for me today, right now. Right now. And then when those good things don't come, when maybe we don't prosper, we don't receive everything we, we think we should receive, we, we doubt God, and we doubt his goodness, and we doubt his kindness. And I've, I've seen many people just struggle with the Lord because they're not getting what they want right now. Right now. And I've seen many people like revolt against the city they're in, and the town they're in, and the people group that they're in, right? Have you guys ever heard this? I just can't wait for Jesus to come back and wipe out this evil world so I could go home already, right? You guys understand that attitude? I just want to go home. I've had enough. 36 years old. Take me out of here. I mean, it seems like every year, as a matter of fact, there's another person that believes they've cracked like the Da Vinci Code of the Bible and that they predicted that Jesus is coming back in a couple years, right? So we forget to interact in our cities. We forget to love those who don't know God. And we say things like, it's too late for them. Let God sort them out. We become so enthralled with the future promises of God that we forget that God has us for a purpose and a reason today, right here, right now. And I heard this from a very wise young man. He told me this saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. I want to say that again. Do not be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. As in, don't be so focused on the return of Christ that you forget he has a job for you right now. Let me give you guys some examples. I think I've heard this more and more frequently from people in our culture that they just want to pull the eject cord and get out of California. Like, right? Do you guys ever just want to be around people that believe in everything you believe and, and live for everything that you live for? My wife has asked me this several times in the last month. Can we stay in a city that so clearly rejects everything we believe, Zach? Should we stay here? And, and she's actually been planning some things out. She's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together with some people from our church, and we're going to go buy a big land, a big farm, and we're going to live out there, and we're just going to be surrounded by people who love us and love God. And I'm like, you mean like kind of like a weird Mennonite community where you sew my clothes and I don't shave my beard? Like, what do you want? And she's like, no, we're not going to be Amish, right? We're just going to get away from everything in this world that attacks us. And I'm like, man, like, who would we even take with us, you know? And we start, like, selecting the people we like most. It's none of you. I'm joking. And, and she's like, you know, like, what about Mike and Chantel? And I'm like, I don't like Mike, you know? He only drives Fords, you know? And she's like, what about Johnny and Joey? You love Johnny. And I'm like, I love Johnny, but they take the be fruitful and multiply thing way too serious, you know? And we could never possibly, like, pay to feed all of their offspring. There's a bunch of them. Pretty much the only person who makes the cut is Kenny because he can build anything, but he wouldn't go with me anyways, right? No? Hard pass, hard pass. All right, so the whole time we're thinking these things as believers, we're forgetting that God has placed us where we are stuck with a plan, that he has a purpose for us in this city. We must never forget that God took the Israelites and exiled them by his own hand. And he put them in a city and asked them to bless the city that may never come back to bless them. A city, in fact, that had conquered them in war. And this is what we mean by flourishing where you are stuck. And this brings us to our big idea, seek peace in the waiting. Seek peace in the waiting, church. We are all called for this. I mean, no, we're all waiting for Jesus. We can't wait to his glorious return, but we need to seek peace of the city around us in our waiting. And I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. You guys ready? Okay, we have and we will continue to bless our community through what we call community impact, you guys. We are going to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city around us. This is what it means to to flourish where you are stuck. We're going to bless the community around us. And hear me on this. We are going to bless them regardless of whether or not they ever uh, accept our worldview. And we're going to do this understanding that our city may prosper, and so will we. And you guys have to know that there's many people in our community that will never step foot in the doors of this church. 
There's many people in Camarillo that will never sit in these seats and hear these words. And it seems like the, the more people I talk to, the less they understand what really happens in this building. I was just talking to a guy the other day, and he goes, Zach, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And he's like, no, I'm not like your side gig. Like, what do you do for money, you know? And I'm like, believe it or not, they pay me for this, okay? And, and he's like, so are you like married? Are you celibate? And I'm like, no, I'm very much married, okay? And then he was like, well, doesn't the government support you guys financially? And I'm like, where have you been? No, okay? Every dime that comes in is raised by the wonderful, generous people of our church. But then you come across people that say this, like churches just sit on these giant piles of free money that is untaxed. And they never give anything back. They just take and take and fly private jets around you guys, but that is not us. And I wanna tell you guys something about our church. Thank you to the wonderful and generous people of this church because through you guys in the past few years, we are known for several things in our city. We are known for several things in the city of Camarillo. I wanna tell you right now, in the past few years, this church has partnered with the Ventura County City Center and collected baby items, hosted dinners for families, held barbecues for families, held a work day at the facility, and took family shopping. We are known for being a church that partnered with the Ventura County Pregnancy Center, collected 660 onesies, 36 car seats, and $3,600 for pregnancy tests and Bibles for young women. We are a church that feeds 130 families a week through our food pantry, knowing that they may never step foot in this church. We are a church that gave $31,000 to a church in Columbia. And we are a church that gave an amazing van and thousands of dollars to these poor trafficked young women, knowing that none of them may ever step foot in this place. And knowing that these women have nothing to offer us. But we gave it anyways. You guys, and those are just a few things we've done through this place. And these are the things we will continue to do at Camarillo Community Church. We will bless people knowing that it may never bless us in return. And the question still remains, how will we be viewed by the world? And I will tell you, as a church, I know that through our leadership, we will never run for safe harbor, you guys. We will remain in the world, but not of the world. We're going to be a group of people that are a shining light for Christ who desperately know that people need to receive him. We will be a group of people that will shine in the darkness of this city. No matter how dark it becomes, we will stand as that light on that hill. And we'll be a group of people that knows that if the Lord is with us, not even the gates of hell can stand against what we are doing in this city, in this place right now. That is who we are going to be. will be a church and a church family that will seek peace and waiting for Jesus to come back. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you that it's their generosity that... <laughs> that I am paid. <laughs> I thank you it is through their generosity that, that we bless people in this community. I thank you that every day those young girls get in that van and they feel some comfort and safety in a world that has taken so much from them. I thank you that we live knowing that the money that comes in these doors is not only for us, that the money that comes through these doors will be used outside of these walls to bless a community that may never know you, God, but we do so knowing that we are seeking the peace of the people that we are among. God, we've been here for 61 years as a church. I pray that we're here for another 60, God. And I pray that this city knows what we're about through the work that we do for you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. Well, if anybody walked in our church today and wondered why we do what we do as it relates to community impact, I think you just heard passionately why we do what we do. We're in a series called In the Works. We're all in the works, and we're just kind of sharing what we feel as a church, what we're called to do, and what makes us unique, uh, what's, what's unique about our church. And that's one of the things right there that we're not going to be stopping. And so thank you, Zach, for that. I uh, had the privilege of taking a week off this week, which was great. I was in Dallas, Texas, and um, uh, assessing church planners to go across the United States, Tennessee, Florida, and 
Pennsylvania, all over the place. We spent a week with these guys who are willing to give up whatever it is they had going on so they could uh, take a risk for Jesus. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time to see these folks uh, really, really want to do God's will in their life and start new churches. And so we have one actually coming to San Diego. And uh, I have to tell you, the church, our church, has been so committed to this cause. I don't know if you remember Tracy Crawford. He was here in June preaching on our stage. They're starting and doing their grand opening next week, next Sunday in Rialto. And so I'm going to preach here, get in a car, jam on over there to, to see their church off as they start together. But that happened because of your generosity. We were able to give them a check to get started and get going. And so we continue that heart of community impact, not only in Camarillo, but in Rialto, hopefully San Diego. We've got another one coming in Calabasas, and we want to keep on um, allowing the, uh, the light of the gospel to be heard, not only in our community, but in communities across the United States. So thank you for being with that with us. And with that, we just transition to uh, a time of gifts, uh, several ways to give. Uh, you um, can see them on the screen, and, uh, you know, you can give online, uh, you know, probably the best way. You can obviously mail to us, but when you give to us, you allow us to do things like that, and that's the beauty of this. We're not just taking in money for ourselves. Uh, we are doing things to promote the gospel, to change people's lives here in other communities. Uh, we want to seek the peace of this city and the cities around this country. So thank you. I just say thank you for what you've been able to do and helping us be generous to that. So let's pray that. And Father, we pray that you take every gift, every dollar, everything that we sacrifice for your cause. There's a ledger in heaven that you are writing down. I can't imagine the day when we stand before you and you say thank you for what you've given towards the cause of Christ. What an unbelievable. I should be thanking you and yet you'll thank me. And we just ask you to take those gifts and multiply them. Multiply them to souls, multiply them to lives, change families, change eternal destinies. Continue to move in this country, even as we keep on going far, far away from you. We still believe in a God and a spirit of God who can move people, change them from the inside out. So we thank you to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you watch this on the screen? Cam CC, I'm Sam Stevenson, the new K-3 director. I love getting to know your kiddos on Sunday mornings. If you have an interest in serving in the K-3 ministry, you can shoot me an email at sam at camcc.net. That's enough about me. I want to talk about you. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some amazing gifts for you to thank you for being here with us. You can head on over to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. If you're watching online, we want to hear from you too. Go to camcc.net slash next steps and we will hook you up. I am so excited about the Welcome Project, our new initiative that kicks off Sunday, October 30th and continues through November 6th, 13th, and 20th. October 21st through 23rd, Men's Retreat. Wives, nudge your husbands and encourage them to attend this weekend retreat in beautiful Malibu Canyon. Come on guys, how sweet is that? Check out the men's table on the patio for more information or email jimmoyer at camcc.net to sign up. It's coming up fast. October 21st, Middle School Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. Check this out. Different teams, different colors, competing against each other. It sounds intense. It is intense, but it's very exciting. Get ready to nerf it up. You can sign up at camcc.net slash nerfwar, bring $10 and your own gun. Need more information? Contact Jacob at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. You know, wow, Zach, I'm pretty um, honored that you uh, made the cut to your weird cult that you're starting. <laughs> I will uh, kindly decline, though. Uh, no, uh, you know, awesome message today about seeking the peace of our city. You know, God has worked with us. We're his ambassadors. We represent him in this world. Otherwise, you know, if, if he didn't need us in this world, he'd just rapture us up the minute we accepted him. But he's left us here with a purpose for his kingdom. We need to get busy about doing it. Okay, we have a couple things coming up. There's a worship night on November 16th I want to let you know about. Just mark your calendars. Those things are awesome. Um, so there's a, a, going to be an event for the children as well where they can uh, worship the Lord together as, um, up in the classroom up there. 
If it's your first, second, third time, make sure you go to the welcome counter. We have a gift for you. It's an honor to worship with you guys and join us on the patio for a coffee and donut.